We'll let you off the leash, Dan, will we? Will you? Well, no, just, you know, on City, we'll just let you go to town. I'm, I'm interested in your opinions on this one, lads. Oh, I, I know what I think about that it. Sounds <laughs> like <a trap. laughs> that sounds know, like a trap. I know, he's trapped us, Luke. He's trapped us. <laughs> Just, just so you know, I've got a team of lawyers in the room with me, so be careful what you say. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So, lots of people seem to like the last podcast. Can you believe it? Oh, I can believe it, actually. <laughs> Why? Why? Why not? I mean, we got a few nice emails no. about it. No negative ones whatsoever, which leads me to assume that everyone who listened to it absolutely loved it and Good. didn't get enough of it. Right. So, you know, let's hope we can maintain the standard in this week's episode. No pressure or anything. We will. We will. We will. We will. <laughs> uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Serie A, La Liga and the Premier League. I'm Dan Burke. To kick things off, I'm joined by our Italian correspondent in Francesco Portio. Ciao, everyone. Here we are. And Davide Zanelli. Hello. Hello, people. <laughs> So, after Juventus drew 3-3 with Sassuolo on Wednesday, where does that leave the Serie A title race, Fra? At the same point as last week, I think, uh, because Juve are still on the top, and uh, even if they, uh, they're not doing well, actually, the last three games, uh, at the end, Inter and Lazio are, and, uh, are struggling, and Atalanta, you know, they, they drew against Juventus last Saturday, so I think the title race is over, anyway, even if, uh, you know, Inter are not that far away, but, uh, you know, you have to consider that Inter will play the last two games of the season against Atalanta and Napoli. So it won't be an easy ending for Inter. And uh, I don't know, I, I, my feeling is that Juventus would win at the end, Scudetto. Mm. Um, I, I don't see too many possibilities in the last games uh, for the other, the other teams. But uh, I, I think Juventus are struggling a lot. And uh, I'm worried for them for the Champions League because honestly, I don't see them um, playing well and sure of what they're doing. And they had, the first game they will play will be against Lyon, and Lyon won the first game. Mm. So it won't be easy. And even if they go further, they will probably play against Manchester City, as you well know. Correct. So won't be an easy one for you, man. Yeah. In the Champions League, uh, for, in August, for sure. What, but I mean, what, why are they limping towards the finish line? Do you think is it is it a case of the uh, the coronavirus break has affected them? Is is Sarri not a very good manager? Is what, what's the problem? <laughs> no, I mean I, I don't want to judge Sarri because uh, it's, it would be very very bad for my side doing that. Uh, <laughs> even if even if I had concerns at the beginning of the season actually about him because. You know, changing from Allegri to Sarri, it's a completely different world. It's it's like going to heaven to hell. I mean, <laughs> but not, not in the way, even uh, hell, uh, hell to heaven. So it can be all the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's not that Sarri is the hell. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a completely different world. You know what I mean? So like, it takes time, this kind of uh, approach. Uh, and he didn't really change the, the team at the end. So it was difficult to see a change of, uh, you know, like this in one season, especially a season like this one with the, 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 the stop of the virus and everything. So I'm, I'm, so I'm not that surprised about it, but I mean, at the end, I don't think that the, the outbreak really changed a lot. Maybe they, it underlined more some problems because, you know, it's like a new season. They had to do the, the, the summer preparation basically again. And uh, so they had to restart. It's like a new a new championship, right? Mm. But I don't I don't think that the, it's, it's the Juventus probably didn't didn't uh, change what he wanted uh, in the transfer window last summer. And you know, uh, Iguain is still there. Uh, Pjanic they sold him and he's still playing right now. So there are a lot of problems in the team, and they didn't fix it. And probably now it's too late. And they have to wait for the next season for to, to do that. Mm. Well, one team in very good form is Atalanta. They're currently second in Serie A. Does that mean they're the second best team in Italy, Davide? This means they are the best team in Italy right <laughs> now. Because uh, Atalanta is by far the, the the team playing the best football in Italy. Most uh, showing uh, like the best attack uh, easily. They, they, will, uh, they will score more than 100 goals, I think. They have like a perfect midfield at the moment. For example, they they are showing the best Malinowski we've ever seen. 
at the beginning of the season we were talking about Malinowski like yes he's performing well with the Ukrainian national team uh, no he's performing well everywhere he's playing super well uh, he's not only the good a good sub substitution for uh, Papu Gomez because at the beginning it was uh, you can play or with Gomez or with the Malinowski they cannot play together they're playing more together now uh, Gasperini is uh, changing every time the midfielders, uh, Froehler, Deron, uh, Pasalic, uh, Muriel is the perfect replacement for, uh, for Zapata, but they can play together uh, sometimes. Uh, Ilicic is not playing that much because he's not always really fit. Gasperini said the grandma, the grandma needs to rest because they, they call him the grandma, <laughs> uh, but actually he's still like a top class player for yeah. me. They, they are easily the best, the best team. I, I'm kind of sorry, not because I'm an Atalanta supporter, because uh, there is... You are a, not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. There's a huge rivalry between uh, Brescia and Bergamo. But uh, I'm sorry, because uh, they could have keep, uh, uh, kept the, the league uh, alive for, uh, for some weeks more, like winning against Juventus. Mm. Uh, drawing with them, with them was uh, was kind of uh, as Fra said before, uh, like the end of the league. I, I think we can we can still watch the the games because uh, only because Juventus is not is not performing well, uh, but uh, we don't have many games left, so I don't think Atalanta has, has chances to to reach the first uh, the first spot in the league. Yeah, I think Juve has seven points clear now. I mean, you, you mentioned it there, Davide. Atalanta have scored ninety three league goals this season already. Francesco, how can a team that has scored that many goals that is so good going forward, how, how are they not streets ahead at the top of the table? Let's say that Atalanta, uh, they always have uh, difficulties in the beginning of the season for many, for other, for either, uh, different reasons in the, in the last years. Um, that's a common problem that Gasperini had. And I think this season, so we focus on this season because we don't want to talk uh, 50 minutes about Atalanta, even if maybe one day we will. Um, the problem of this season was that the Champions League uh, was, of course, the focus of everyone, you know, because it was the biggest achievement mm. of the club in the last 50 years, probably. And uh, they, they, everyone focused on, the, on that competition. And if you remember, and I'm sure you remember, because those they play against City, they lost the first three games of the, of the group stage. Mm. And no, nobody did what they did. So they, they actually went through the group uh, after losing the first three games of the of the group stage, which is something that never happened before in the history of the Champions League, and all these mess basically uh, shifted a bit, a, a bit the um, the tension, probably also of the players and of the coach, and you know of a team that is not used to play every every three days in the in that stage, uh, changed a bit the, the the focus on the Champions League games. Normally, and uh, and these probably the, the, the points that he lost in that part of the season now they are they are they are, they are affecting the possibilities for them to win the scudetto this year. Mm. But honestly, I see Atalanta being competitive next season to win the scudetto. Mm. Why not? I mean, they're gonna keep all the players. They are a rich team. They're a rich club. They don't need to sell players. They sold last uh, January, and nobody ever remembered that. They, they sold players for 65 millions, which are Kulusevski to Juventus, yeah. which is their property, and Barro to Bologna, Musa Barro to Bologna. So they already, they're already fine for the transfer window this mm. summer. They don't need to sell players. And they, they already told the agents of the, of the players involved that might be involved in some transfer um, rumors. They said, if we don't have like 70 millions offer, we're not gonna we're not gonna sell these players. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about Zapata, I'm talking about Papu Gomez, I'm talking about Ilicic, Gollini, all the most important ones. Probably the only one they can sell is um, Castagne because his uh, his, uh, his contract is expiring next season. And they didn't renew it yet, but all the others are gonna stay and they're gonna build a stronger team next season. So why not believe in Scudetto for next season? Why not? But before we start talking about next season. <laughs> They've still got the Champions League to come this season. There's some people suggesting, Davide, that they could be shock winners of the Champions League. Can you see that happening? Uh, I cannot see it happening, but uh, it's not <laughs> impossible. Uh, with, with this kind of competition, with the three games to play, it's no, nothing is impossible for, uh, for, for every team, actually. The Atalanta is playing against PSG, and uh, I don't think they have many chances, but of course they will be more fit than PSG, because Ligana 
Ligan ended uh, three months ago. Yeah. They st- they are still preparing the games. Uh, I saw the first uh, the first trainings uh, for PSG. Of course, they are experience, uh, experiencing a completely different situation uh, compared to the Atalanta one. Atalanta is uh, playing super well, as we were saying. Atalanta is probably one of the best team in Europe at the moment for the football they are showing. And PSG restarting everything, also talking about transfer market uh, with uh, some players leaving. For example, I don't know, we said about Mounier, we said about Cavani in the last weeks. Uh, things are changing in PSG and Atalanta is, uh, is not the best rival to, to face at the moment. Still, to win the Champions League, I think there are uh, better teams, uh, more experienced, uh, experienced team. Uh, for example, I don't know, Man City. Sorry, Dan, about that. <laughs> uh, and other teams, uh, way more experienced uh, than Atalanta. Then, yeah. Atalanta is able to win against everyone and to lose against everyone. Uh, they can win 4-0, I think, against uh, Juventus. Uh, they can lose 4-0 against Juventus. <laughs> and we'll see, we'll see. I don't think they're going to they're gonna win, but could be a could be a good story to tell. Yeah. Now, my, my biggest concern about the Champions League, and it's actually a question for you all, because it's a question I have in my mind that I can't answer it. It's is it better for a team like PSG not playing for the last four months and just focusing on these 15 days, or it's better for a team like Atalanta that they played 20 games in not 20 but like 15 games in the last in the last two months, arriving in that, in that final stage of a competition you know, playing against PSG. I'm still not sure about what's the answer of this question, but in this answer, I think we are going to know who is going to win that, that that game, I think. Yeah, it's a good question, yeah. because I mean, PSG, they have the French Cup final to come uh, next weekend, I think that is, against Saint-Étienne. And I think they'll have a few friendlies before the Champions League gets going yeah. again. So they, they're not going to come into it completely cold, but it'll be interesting to see how much their lack of rhythm does affect them in this Yeah, but game. remember the first game of the when like Premier League restarted and also Serie A restarted, the teams were completely different than now. Like they were playing, it seems more like a, like a friendly than, mm-hmm. than now, you know. So uh, that's, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll there. see, we'll see. What happened to uh, Atalanta's Luis Muriel this week, Davide? <laughs> Is he okay? It sounded pretty awful. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't know what, what, what we can say about that because uh, uh, some people from the clubs uh, say the, came out with uh, really like different statements. Uh, someone said uh, he had an accident at home. Uh, someone said he was in the sim- swimming pool. Uh, uh, it's the kind of uh, awkward uh, situation when maybe something different happened to a player, but we cannot say it. So officially, we can say he had an accident uh, in his place, uh, and he's okay now. Uh, he was watching the game uh, against Brescia on uh, on Tuesday, um, and he will be he will be fit for the next games. So, so yeah, all good. This, this is <laughs> yeah. a very this is a very strange. You know, there are this kind of situation. I remember. Uh, Few times with uh, with Casares, uh, especially when he was at Juventus. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. He loved to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> don't we all? Exactly. <laughs> we do. We do. Exactly. Uh, so, Fra, what's this about Inter possibly selling Christian Eriksen this summer? Has he been a bit of a flop so far? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I would say yes because he not because of the, the games he played or how he played, but because probably Inter expected a different impact and uh, a different also not player but also like a different mentality, you know, that he could bring to the team, and he actually didn't at the end. And um, the main problem here, I think, is that it's a tactical one. So you know, Antonio Conte, how he plays that that. 3-5-2 with the wings, uh, very solid the midfield. And Eriksen, how can he play there? I mean, how, where can he play there? And that's a problem that, you know, is still there. Uh, he will play several games until the end of the season, yes. He won't be benched anymore, we don't know that. But um, the, the thing is, the truth is, if there is an offer, Inter will sell to Eriksen mm. this summer. If there is an offer. The question is, there will be an offer, we don't know, and probably not, because Inter play, paid 20 millions in January, mm-hmm. and it could be free in the summer. Remember that, so probably wasn't an, an amazing deal if we think about it now. 
but uh, you know if there is an offer inter will sell ericsson that's 100 mm. percent but the offer needs to satisfy both inter and the player so it's not easy yeah. uh, i think he can stay also and you know prove to himself and also to conte that he can bring a lot to this team and i'm very confident they will but you know um if inter if two months ago you were, you were asking this question i was saying uh, no inter won't sell him Ericsson in any way, in any case, in any in any in any occasion that can happen. Now I can tell you the opposite. So if there is an offer, Ericsson will go. Mm, it's a weird one because this time last year he was like, you know, it looked like he had his pick of all the top clubs in Europe wanted him. Um, I thought he did really well at Spurs, but yeah, it's strange that it's sort of how it's all worked out for him this season. Yeah, I mean. Um... I mean, it's these kind of stories where, you know, then we score five goals in the last, in the last four games. Uh, Conte will find him a position. Yeah. Maybe they sell Lautaro, so they need to change system because they don't have, they have to play with different strikers, you know what I mean? So, like, mm. they cannot have two uh, up front there playing the same way that they did this summer, in the, yeah, in the summer season. So, you know, they have to change and probably maybe he will be because now tactically he's trying to put him in like in a three four one two, but it's not really 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 happening. Mm. So unless there is some tactical change from Conte, this this problem will persist in the future. I think we can say that Conte is not that used to change his way of playing. He's also like during the game, he's not always able to to read how the game is going. And uh, to do the right changes, I know. Yeah, from, but how many the, how from, many from managers actually yeah, actually yeah. change? You know, we we talk a lot about Conte, but why don't we talk about Sarri, who never changed the four three three, and you know, Juve is doing what he's doing, and nobody ever says in the, in this moment, or maybe Sarri needs to change a bit tactically, and <laughs> you know, we are talking yeah, about yeah, six point right. difference. We are right. not talking about uh, twenty points difference. So I think now we are being a bit harsh with Conte and with Inter in general. We should be also thinking where they started. And they started from uh, two years consecutively, uh, getting the Champions League spot in the last game, last minute of the season. Now it's already arithmetically, basically. So I think we need to calm down a bit when we talk about Conte and Inter. <laughs> you just won't hear a bad word said about Conte, will you, Fra? Exactly. Mainly, <laughs> yes. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic gave an interview last week in which he hinted that he might stay at Milan and if he does, they will win the Scudetto next season. Should we take him seriously, Davide, or is that just Zlatan being Zlatan? No, we shouldn't take him seriously. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really think Zlatan is going to stay in Milan because uh, this, kind of, uh, this kind of interviews show uh, he's, he's really on a different position than, uh, than Gazidis. Gazidis is uh, building a new, new Milan uh, with Ragnik as a coach, uh, they are looking for uh, young players. Uh, Ibrahimovic is not going to stay. He's just sh showing all his disappointment. Also because um, he has a very good relationship with, uh, with Maldini, <clears throat> for example. He had a good one with Boban before. And also Boban was, uh, was kicked away after a bad interview against, uh, against the Gazzidis again. So yes, he's just showing. Uh, he's just Zlatan being uh, being Zlatan. <laughs> I think he's going back to to Sweden to the to Hammarby. He's he's uh, he's club actually. He's like oh, does he part own Hammarby or something? Yeah, yeah, the twenty five percent. That's right. Yeah, interesting. So yeah. I, I think uh, he's gonna he's gonna end the, his career there. Maybe I don't know winning the Swedish league. I don't know how many chances they, they have. <laughs> <laughs> Could be the, the perfect farewell for, for Zlatan. I don't think he's going to stay at Milan. Yeah. Really. Uh, this is a pretty broad question for you, Fra, but what's happened to Roma this season? And what do you think they need to challenge for a Champions League place again next year? All right. That's, uh, if if the, the Atalanta podcast will last 55 minutes here, we, we will last three hours. Probably, <laughs> but, try and keep uh, it brief if you can, yeah. I'll try to be quick, as quick as possible. The, the problem starts from the organization, so from the club. The president wants to sell the club since two years now, basically, and after he failed to build a new stadium. And uh, so now he's trying, he almost reached a deal with another American investor, uh, Fred Kim, right before the outbreak and then of course with the corona crisis everything fell down so there won't be any more like uh, that kind of deal 
And you know, when there is a club who is not interested that much anymore in the club, in the in the what's how is performing the team, you know, that have consequences also on on everything. And um, uh, that's the negative part. But I will also want to focus on the positive side of Roma this season because we don't always have to focus on the negatives. Mm -hmm. I think in this moment we have to also say that Fonseca did an amazing job, in my opinion. Amazing job. Because in all this scenario where, you know, the club wants to sell, um, a lot of things happen. Remember that this is the first year, after I don't know how many years, that this club hasn't don't have in the in the in the in the in the, in the organization also in the team Daniele De Rossi, Francesco Totti, and Alessandro Florenzi. So three of the most important players in the history of the last 25 years of the club, uh, especially Totti and De Rossi, of course. So after all of this, uh, he 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 had the um, opportunity to build something new, and he tried. Of course, wasn't easy. Also, if you consider that. The sport director left after one year, so he arrived and left after Monchi resigned last season. So everything is happening in Roma. All the chaos is happening there. So he 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 was he did an amazing job in my opinion, and uh, because he deserves a lot. And they failed Champions League place, yes, of course. So it's a failure, but considering how is happening, what is happening there, is a success there. They are feeling. Oh well, good luck That's to you. My, my opinion. <laughs> uh, talk to me about Sassuolo, Davide. They're eighth in the table now, and I saw oh, someone. Oh, he's the he's the man to talk about Sassuolo. Is he really? Well, I saw someone <laughs> yeah, on Twitter. You might like this reference, Davide. I saw someone on Twitter saying they are the pavement to Atalanta's Nirvana. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't understand the question. <laughs> they're, apparently, they're the pavement to Atalanta's Nirvana. Bit of a '90s grunge reference that I thought you might appreciate. <laughs> Let's say no. that let's say that if Atalanta now is mainstream, now you have to support uh, Sassuolo. Let's, yeah. let's put it this yeah. way. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sassuolo is the, the real uh, hipster team right now. <laughs> no, Sassuolo, Sassuolo is a is a very good team. Big, I think because of uh, its coach, because uh, we were talking before about uh, Conte, Sarri, the way they are changing. Uh, the difficulty they have to change during a game uh, to adapt uh, adapt their game to the players. Uh, we we have to say about the Zerbi, who is already considered one of the best in Italy, uh, who, who was compared to with uh, Guardiola. Not by everyone. Not by everyone. Not by everyone. Not by everyone. But uh, he was compared by uh, to Guardiola. I also remember uh, Sanya doing an interview last year, uh, two, two years ago, when uh, Sanya went uh, to the crazy move to Benevento. He said, uh, uh, working with the Zerbi is like working with Guardiola. Mm. Um, the Zerbi has this, uh, this virtue, I think, to adapt uh, to the player, to take the best out of, of his players, also changing the way, the way he, he played. Like, he started with a... 4-3-3, then he played with a 4-2-3-1. Sometimes he, he tried to play with a three players' uh, defense. He has different ideas, but his, uh, his, his way of playing football doesn't change. Never. He never changes. Also, when, when he has to face Juventus, when he has to face Inter, mm. the approach is always the same. He, he wants to do his football. And uh, we can see it. Like, he he made some players improving a lot, like Boga. Boga was already a good player, but now Boga is playing as one of the best players in Syria. And Boga is free to play, because Boga is the one who who completed more dribblings in uh, in the whole league in the whole season. But by far, like I don't, I don't know how many. I remember at the middle of the season, he he did uh, 70, 80 more dribblings than the second one in the in this special table mm. so he he takes the he takes the players put them in the right environment all all these players are super young for example there is uh, there is locatelli probably some people remember about him because he started playing in uh, in milan and he was considered one of the best young midfielders oh, yeah, uh, right, yeah. around and for two seasons uh, uh, locatelli struggled a lot to <laughs> to stay at that level. And now we are talking about uh, top teams looking for Locatelli. We are talking about Juventus. There was a rumor this week about uh, 
Atletico Madrid interested in, uh, in him. I don't think it's true, honestly. But uh, we are talking about this kind of teams uh, looking for, uh, for Locatelli. And I think Locatelli is one of the best uh, midfielders around, especially thanks to, to Roberto De Zerbi. Yeah, and also, if I can add something here, sure. also the ambitions of the club. Because uh, as we speak, there is a press conference of the president of the club, and he says, our next goal will be the change. I mean, they are very, very ambitious. And, uh, you know, they started a few years ago playing the Europa League uh, with Di Francesco. They were a good team. So there is also this combination between a very, very good manager, young manager, and a team that, you know, a club that has a lot of financial resources, and uh, it's a bit like the Offenheim of Italy, you know, okay, uh, or, okay. or it's that kind of uh, club. Yeah, okay. All right, we'll move over Atalanta. There's a new sheriff in yeah, town. Yeah, exactly. A new, exactly. <laughs> new cool, cool kid in town. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, speaking of cool kids, finally, Frat, I've got a question for you from Anthony Zacchino, who was emailed in to say, last season I wrote in asking if Moyes Keane was the real deal, and on the pod everyone seemed in agreement that yes, he was worth the hype. Eight months later and it doesn't appear that way, do you think Keane can still turn his fortunes around and rediscover his form of last year? Um, I know you're I, a big Everton with, fan, I, so I know... I agree, actually, I agree, because I mean, it was, a, uh, it was a flop this season, of course. Mm. We all expected more from him. Let's also say that the situation of the, the, the team and the club didn't help him, you know, because when there is a change like that one they, they had, uh, it's dif- difficult to, you know, prove yourself. Uh, and also what he did outside the pitch didn't help his relation, you know, with the club and the fans and the, and the coach and everything. Mm-hmm. I think what he needs now is a step back. So like probably going back to Italy to a um, uh, club with less, you know, pressure, uh, even if, of course, in Italy there will be a lot of pressure, but maybe uh, there is too much pressure on him right now. So probably he needs a step back, and that's probably what the, his agent, Mino Raiola, will try to do this transfer window. Moving on to the second part of the show, we're to talk about La Liga. I'm joined by Manu Dominguez. Hi, everyone. And Danny Cadena Jordan. Hello, hello. So, Real Madrid are champions of Spain for the first time since 2017. Manu, did you expect them to win the title at the start of the season? Oof, Dan. If I'm honest with both of you, I have to say no. I have to say no. And it's not because I did not trust Real Madrid. It was because I really believe that it must be really hard to win a long tournament against a team who has Leo Messi. This, this is special number 10. I mean, we are talking about a player who was scoring or providing an assist per match in the last 12, 13, 13 years. And, you know, the stats are there at the end. In the last 11 La Ligas, Barcelona has competed until the last match in eight of them. So it tells you a lot about how important was was Messi. So actually, I expected that Barcelona doing a normal season with Messi scoring his 30, 35 goals. It was going to be hard for Real Madrid to compete against them. But at the end, we see we saw that Barcelona didn't compete as good as it should and Real Madrid was especially really, really strong after after the, the stop of the competition for, for COVID. And I have to say that I'm really happy for, for Zinedine Zidane because he's, he's a coach that he's always trying to, to, to show how, how much important is La Liga, how much important is to, to have a team who compete 38 matches. And actually, if there was a coach that it could bring Real Madrid to win La Liga again, he was, it was Zinedine Zidane, of course. Yeah, Zidane's been a bit um, underappreciated or, or written off at times during his coaching career, it seems. How impressed have you been with him this season, Danny? Well, um, I think it's kind of hard to underrate a guy who won three Champions League as it is. Uh, a lot of the credit is always given to like Ronaldo, uh, but I think that in the wake of the season, uh, in particular, where he's no longer part of the picture... And you had a Madrid in shambles, honestly, once he picked it up. Uh, you could definitely tell that maybe he's not like the savviest tactical coach. He's not, you know, like your, Newland, you know, your Julian Nagelsmann kind of guy who's just like, you know, really clever with like solving things during the game. Mm. But he has this huge ability to um, like rally his team together and make them believe that there's one goal. And also, which I think is something that is not spoken enough, he deposited and just added all the, all the you know, leadership requirements to the people that are really good at that like Ramos was formidable at the end of the season like this last run of the season so has been Benzema uh Courtois really stepped up his game so you can definitely tell that sort of like the pillars on which the team has always kind of been built on uh they've been performing adequately at the same time he's also been doing a fantastic job at integrating and rotating all the young players into the team the system 
uh, and sort of like making them believe this sort of like Real Madrid ethos that you know he's really uh, he's really been good at like um, building around. A couple of scapegoats, of course, Hamas and, and and Bale are maybe like the fallout or the outliers of the equation, but I think overall it's been a really sound season on his behalf. Yeah, you could see how much it meant to him after winning the title as well. Uh, Manu, who, who would you say has been the key player or players for Madrid this season? Actually, it's going to be it's going to be difficult to add more players because Dani already mentioned the most important ones. Of course, Zidane, Sergio Ramos, Karim Benzema, who probably, I'm not really sure if he was the best player in La Liga this season, but at least people can can discuss if he was better, Zidane or, 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 sorry, Messi or Benzema. So it's already a lot. Benzema was at that level, so mm. it's 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 too much. But especially I would like to mention Tony Cross, and I would like to ask Dani about him because he's our, our colleague special size in Bundesliga. I guess that Tony Cross, his, his performance, individual performance this season was the best one in the last three or four years. I mean, and it was not only for a short period of time, like for example, Modric did in the last weeks. Tony Cross was from the beginning of the season till the end of the season being a key player for Real Madrid uh, along, uh, alongside with Casemiro. And, and I have to say that finally, when you have a playmaker who is performing well, probably you are closer to win, to win the trophies. Mm. Danny, Kroos, you've been impressed with him? I mean, he's probably the player, like the sale that Bayern made that I, as a fan, I hated the most because I knew what we were losing. I mean, I was basically on board of saying, like, just give whatever the, whatever the hell he wants because uh, he's quality. And I think that is, that is his main attribute. Like, he's really that sort of like nerves of steel kind of guy that no matter what the challenge is, he's always up to par. And if not up to par, he's always giving you a decent performance or you know, a bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, yeah, I think I fully agree with Manu on that. He, he's just a machine to like, churn results and to give you proper proper football, if anything. Mm. You mentioned uh, Gareth Bale earlier, Danny. What's he been up to? That footage of him basically not putting any effort whatsoever into the title <laughs> celebrations was pretty funny. Dude, he's kind of become like a personal hero of mine for how blatantly he does not give a shit anymore. <laughs> and uh, that takes courage. I mean, but in the end, I think it takes two to tango and it's just not his fault. Of course, he has like a lion's share of it. But I also think the fact that he was so visibly excluded from the whole like decision-making process among players, the whole uh, yeah vibe among players. Like he's very visibly not part of the equation, you know. Um, and I think that is also the team to blame because a player you're paying that much money for should be part of the equation somehow, albeit only because of the fact that he's earning that much money. You know, you don't want to throw that away. He's still talented. I mean, he's not like he's garbage. Like he's a he's a he earns the money he's earned because he produces results. It's very debatable how much uh, of an influence he can be in that team, but I think he's definitely an asset more than a liability, if you put it that way. Um, but yeah, having said all that, if the guy wants to golf and he's getting paid for that, well, let him golf in. <laughs> uh, Manu, how do you expect Barca to react to losing their title? Are they in a downward spiral or is this going to be a wake-up call for them, do you think? Actually, yeah, today the media are talking about a meeting between Bartomeu and Kike Setien. Finally, it's, of course, it's possible that there could be some, some reactions, but probably it's not going to be the right one. I mean, the, the, the real situation is like there is not a, not a feeling between the players and the board of, direct, or the board of directors. Probably it could be a, a new Kiki Setien, let us say, I don't know, maybe Garcia Pimienta or maybe Ronald Koeman. But at the end, the situation is like Messi, Suarez, Piqué and company, they don't like Bartomeu. And Bartomeu, of course, he doesn't want to, to leave the club. So the only possibility is to wait till 2021, I guess in order to, to, to have new elections and let us see if there is new fresh in, in Barcelona because right now the situation, the feeling is, is quite negative. Yeah. And uh, do you think it could give them some extra motivation in the Champions League now, Danny? Do you think they're even good enough to win it this season? Well, to be honest with you, I like to win a cup is a lot... It's not more complicated than winning a league. The league requires a lot more, obviously. like Winning something over 38 match days is very different than winning you know, 12, 13 games in the end. But I think the mentality you have to set and the team spirit you have to have is something that is a very key component. The, mo the morale aspect of things is a lot more important when you're playing sudden death or that sort of concept of a game. Whereas a league, you know, you can you can you know drop a point here and there. It's not that tragic, is it? Um, and in the setup of the Champions League right now, that is a lot more pressure added to direct results. Like there's no like the away game kind of thing stop being an actual factor. Uh, I don't know. I'm very skeptical of what Barcelona can do. I think they're going to cruise, not cruise, but definitely have a relatively okay time against Napoli because of Napoli's own faults. Mm. Um, in spite of the fact that they do have like a, a morale machine as, as Gattuso at the helm. 
Um, but I do think that they're going to flounder eventually if they meet a team that is very, or, or at least better structured uh, defensively with a more robust midfield and definitely with like a, a penetrating attack like either Chelsea or Bayern, uh, you know, look to be. So I think that once they, I think they're going to go past Napoli, but I think whoever they face in the semifinals or quarterfinals for that matter, uh, it's just not going to be, you know, up to par. It's going to be too much of a task for them, if anything. Mm. What's the situation with Messi, Manu? He seemed angry in his post-match interview last night. There's been some talk that he could leave Barca in 2021. Could he? Actually, if you allow, if you allow to, to use this expression, I would say it's bullshit. I would say it's bullshit <laughs> if we are talking about 2021. Because why 2021? I mean, everyone knows that Messi doesn't like Bartomeu. And Bartomeu, his, his time expired in 2021. So why Messi is going to take the decision in 2021 to leave Barcelona? If, for example, he would like to leave Barcelona, he would do it right now. Because right now, Barcelona is a chaos. is a really mess. But, but this information is about 2021, in my opinion, doesn't have sense. He says already a lot of times he's happy in Barcelona, in his personal life, his children are there, his children have their friends there, and he doesn't want to, to, to bring this kind of life to, her, to his children, the one that he, he had when he was 13 years old to move to, other, to different cities, to move from Argentina to Barcelona. So in my opinion, I guess that he's going to stay. I don't know how long, but as Barcelona fan, what I, re I really, really, really uh, expect is that Messi says, sorry, Bartomeu, but we are not with you. There is one year in advance. I don't want to, to wait one year till the new fresh, as I was saying before, it's coming. So we will see. We will see what happens. But about this information, Messi living in 2021, I would say that they are fake news, yeah. Mm. Well, former Barca president Joan Laporta has confirmed he's going to run for president again. And he said he wants Pep Guardiola back as coach. Is that going to happen, Danny? Uh, <laughs> okay. Um... He just reminded me of some guy that we all kind of know and mock a lot uh, for his way of speaking, acting, and looking, Donald Trump. Um, yeah, it's basically the same sort of thing. I'm going to make America great again. I'm bringing Guardiola back. Let's bring back the splendid years. It's a very nostalgic point of view, isn't it? Um, and it's in politics, uh, if I know anything about that, is that, you know, that rarely works. It's really good at getting votes, but it rarely works in practice. Um, I see Barca in a very tricky position. Uh, because I think that no matter who wins, it, there's going to be a popularity contest so strong that I, some sort of populism is inevitable within the, the you know, directive board at some point. Mm. Which means it's just going to be making uh, decisions based on whether or not the fans would appreciate it, or how many retweets they would get out of it, how many jerseys they would sell, which is kind of the big, like the original sin of the Bartomero cycle. I, I don't see that ending anytime soon. I think it's already kind of embed in the mentality of who is in charge of the of the team. The coaches who are coming are also kind of a reflex a reflect of that, which is also a concerning question if you ask me. Uh, and I mean in a football club when football stops being the main discussion, I think something is awry, isn't it? Yeah. Well uh, well speaking of Guardiola, he's been involved in a war of words with La Liga president Javier Tebas after Manchester City's UEFA for ban was dropped earlier this week. Guardiola says Tebas must be so jealous of the Premier League. Do you think he's jealous of the Premier League Manu? Yeah, actually, I have no idea if he's jealous in the Premier League, but the relationship between Guardiola and Tebas is, it has been always problematic, but it's nothing related with football. We know, we know how the political idea that Guardiola, Guardiola has about Catalonia, about independence and all of these things. At Tebas is, of course, in the other side. And finally, they are trying just to, to, to try to send message each other as much as they can. And it was a good point for, for Guardiola because, I mean, we already know that the, the best TV contracts they are getting from Premier League and La Liga trying to be to be to be to be to follow them, but it's not it's not easy. But yeah, we will see. Probably it would be it would be really funny to have Guardiola back in back in La Liga and to <laughs> to have you know closer this this rivality between them. Yeah. Uh, well, since we last recorded a podcast, Real Betis have appointed Manuel Pellegrini as their new coach. Do you think he's going to be a success there, Danny? I mean, Betis is always complicated to talk about because they bring in the right players, a.k.a. Fakir, Canales, and the sword. Um, they bring in a great sporting plan. They have everything, theoretically the right coach for it, but it just flounders somehow. Like, they make it impossible for it to work like that. I think it's sort of like a, a pressure put on themselves that is so big that it just consumes whatever project you might have. Um, do I think he'll be successful? I think he'll do better than Ruby, the, the, the current or former coach at this point. Um, do I think they will achieve their main objective? Very, very unlikely. 
However, said that, I do think they'll put on a better fight than they did this season. I'm really actually disappointed with what they did. They have a, a team that, in my mind, was ready for a lot bigger challenges and able to give a better fight had they had the right guy behind it. But, you know, um, they're not, you know, <laughs> Betis haven't been in, to Europe for in a long time or, or in a very consistent, uh, for a consistent period in a long time because basically they lack that sort of decision-making, I reckon. So mm. I think it's sort of part of the, the same uh, cosmos as Barca, quote-unquote, so to speak, uh, in that decision-making is very prone to, to fan pressure and uh, it doesn't always work well when that's the case, I guess. Mm. And also, since our last podcast, Espanyol have been relegated. They always seem like a pretty solid Premier club to me, Manu. Where's it gone wrong for them this season? Yeah, finally, with Espanyol, we have the same situation that happened with other teams like in the last seasons, for example, Villarreal. Do you remember that Villarreal with Giuseppe Rossi, Nilmar or Bruno Soriano? Mm. That finally... They don't have so deep squad in order to play three competition uh, to play three matches per week and three competitions. Espanyol started this season playing Europa League as well. They, uh, Borja Iglesias moves to to Betis, and at the end they were like they there were not like real real strong transfers, and at the end the squad was not enough. Finally, when when you when your start is not the best one, and you have especially young players like Melendo or or Mar Roca, for example, or Pedrosa, and you start to see yourself in that position and it's already January, February, March, you start to think, wow, wow, what are we going to do? And finally, that's what happened. Then they, they, they signed an amazing coach, as it was Abelardo. Abelardo did it amazingly for, before the, the, the coronavirus stopped, the coronavirus breaking. Mm. And I don't know what happened after because they got like two losses. Espanol decided to, to fire the coach. Rufete, who was the sport director, decided to be the own coach. And you know this kind of this kind of solutions that nobody think about them. They used to finish badly. Mm. Uh, well, we've got just one match day left in the Liga now on Sunday. Who else is going to be relegated, Danny? Well, um, there's basically two teams. It's been Espanyol and Mallorca already were confirmed last night as relegated. Ah, were they right? Okay. Yeah, basically, like they're. I mean, it's really hard for them to come back after that. Mm. Uh, then you have Leganes and Celta, who are the last two teams. Very, uh, very too much of Manus dismay. His team is Celta, so obviously this hurts him a bit. Mm. Um, but I think it's a very interesting ma last match day because Celta play Espanyol, and mm. Leganes play Real Madrid. So it's kind of like a lame duck rival situation. Here. <laughs> like they both like one's already relegated, the other one's already champion. So what the hell are they going to play for? Mm. One's going to be too hungover from the parties of anything because. It's like 48 hours after they actually were proclaimed champions and the other ones, like, they really couldn't care less. Couldn't Maybe they've been drowning their sorrows and they'll be hungover as well. You know? <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it's very much up in the air what happens. I do have to say, however, that I admire a lot of what Javier Aguirre has done for Leganes. Uh, they lost Braithwaite. They lost the other striker. I forgot his name right now. Uh, in the during city? the Yeah, exactly. In the city. Uh, during the, the winter break or just after. And they've managed somehow to rally out of... Sorry, but basically cojones at this point. Like uh, they have not that much talent. Their squad is not as deep as many other teams, and yet again they're giving a fight to the last second. Like they were last so not that long ago, uh, and they've been just performing at a level where I think Celta should be like deeply concerned if they do not win next game. Celta are up by one point, so all they have to do is win. Having said that, uh, all you have to do is win when you're seventeenth is not necessarily a given, is it? Mm. And finally for you, Manu, we've had a question by email from Alex Timperley. He says, how good is reported Manchester City and Juventus transfer target Ferran Torres? Yeah, I have to say that I really, I really, I really trust this information because it was given from Eurosport. And Eurosport is the one that it doesn't use to give this kind of exclusives if they don't have like some information behind. Mm -hmm. And actually, we are talking about Ferran Torres, probably the under-21 Spanish player alongside with Ansu Fati that probably has like better future. He's only one year on contract. His contract ends in 2021. And Guardiola used to have a good eye for this kind of, of science in Spain. Mm. He fits perfectly with Guardiola is looking for. So I expect him that this transfer can happen in the next days, in the next weeks, especially the situation in Valencia now is now is, is a chaos as well. So a good movement from 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 Pep Guardiola and we will see. I I really looking forward to seeing him playing in Premier League. For those who haven't seen him play, who would you compare him to? Yeah, people try to compare him with David Silva, only because David Silva, he was playing in Valencia as well yeah. before moving to Manchester City. I don't think so. They are similar. Ferran Torres is faster than Silva. Maybe he doesn't have this vision like Silva, for example, has. But having him like in, in the right side, I, I would compare him a little bit to, to, to Sterling, maybe. And 
now for the third and final part of this week's show, where to talk all things Premier League. I'm joined by Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Podrick Whelan. Hello. Well, it's been an eventful week in English football, which kicked off on Monday morning with the news that Manchester City will not be banned from the Champions League for two years after all. Lewis, were you surprised by that verdict? Um, no, I don't think I was. Really? Um, I was. I, th- I thought... <laughs> Um, you had you had something else at stake, I guess, um, <laughs> which maybe heightened the the drama and the the fear. Um, no, I think I don't know. It was just it's just the fact we've seen these cases or similar cases with PSG before, and it feels like just they they just tend to to get yeah it, it goes to goes to Kaz and they tend to get. A, a reduced sentence, if you want to call it that, and obviously City have got that ten million pound, uh, euro fine that they've got to pay. Um, no, I, I expected City to get a favourable verdict, if you want to put it like that. Maybe the ban reduced to one year or something like that. Um, obviously, they got a, a dream scenario verdict. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I was, you know, my view all along was that it was, uh, it was only half time in the case, really. Um, you know, you shouldn't count any chickens until the, the final whistle goes and all that kind of thing. So I did have a little bit of hope that City might get a favourable re- resolution. And there was a few rumours over the weekend leading up to the verdicts that it might be it might be good news for City. So I was reasonably confident on Monday morning, but still nervous as hell. I mean, Podrick, I've noticed lots of people seem pretty convinced of City's guilt when UEFA issued them with the ban back in February. But now they're totally unconvinced of their innocence. Now the charge has been quashed by, quashed by Cass. Why do you think that is? I think... It's just because it's so tribal in it, like football, that I think you were always kind of expecting that. I always thought when City, when City got off with it, I mean, the amount of people you saw kind of giving knee-jerk reactions straight away, where you kind of think they've probably not even familiarised themselves with the whole thing, and no matter what happened, they were gonna, they were gonna complain about it one way or the other if City had got off like they did, or if the ban was upheld, you're going to have City fans on the other mm. side. Like I was, you just you kind of know what to expect with these things. And it's not even just like the court case kind of thing. You see it in games and stuff like that all the time. I think it was just always going to gonna go down this road of people complaining one way or the other. But I, I, did, I did think that like, I kind of agree with Lewis. Like, I thought initially like the ban itself was quite harsh anyway. So mm. I yeah, I can. I can't really see why people came at City so strongly on Monday after it because I thought the the two year ban and like the massive fine to begin with for what is essentially, I guess, like forty million and then a bit of hiding things, which ultimately they did get done for with the the fine in the end from Cass. Um, I thought I actually thought that was a bit harsh to begin with. To be honest, I thought I thought Guardiola was deliberately obtuse and a little bit misdirectional in his press conference when he talked about other clubs spending a lot of money. And... <laughs> Liverpool, you mean? Liverpool? Yeah. Liverpool. That's the best thing he's ever done. Well, when, he <laughs> <laughs> when he was talking about, um, oh, well, we couldn't buy Alexis Sanchez or Harry Maguire and Man United had the money to buy. But this case was obviously never about spending lots of money. It was how City got that money and whether mm. it was like, according to the, the financial play, fair play regulations sponsorship deals if they were legitimate if they were at market value and that kind of thing and yeah I think he was quite deliberately leading people up the garden path there and uh, I mean the question was never about whether or not City are allowed to spend money or any club's allowed to spend a lot of money but how they got that money into the club in the first place I guess yeah well the full details of the cast decision haven't actually been released yet all we know is that the case was basically thrown out of court because um, uh, UEFA's allegations were either not established or time barred. Um, there is a statute of limitations in, in financial fair play investigations of over five years. So um, it'll be interesting to see what that time barred evidence was that they weren't allowed to, to introduce to the case. And um, we'll probably find that out next week. In the meantime, Lewis, a lot of people are suggesting this could be the death of financial fair play. Do you think that's the case? I don't think. I don't think. Firstly, people understand what financial fair play is for. <laughs> yeah. Um, when they say that. Um, financial fair play is to make sure leads don't happen and Portsmouth don't happen. And that's that's the primary aspect to it. Do not outs- overspend by your means. Do not go way overboard. 
and leave your club in financial peril. The the first aim, the main reason for the introduction of financial fair play is to ensure that clubs don't overstretch and go bust. Mm. Um, and in the in the sense of financial fair play in terms of what people want it to be, which obviously is clubs like City or PSG can't be bought by mega rich owners or Newcastle. Now we're seeing the the potential Newcastle takeover, which feels like it's been going on for about 10 yeah, years. God, yeah. um, it, people don't want to see those clubs. And I think understandably, and they don't want to, see, not just those clubs, but they don't want to see any situation. Chelsea did it obviously with Roman Abramovich, where an owner comes into a club and because the owner's really rich, the club can go and spend 500 million pounds and buy 10 new players who are all world-class and win the league and compete for the Champions League. Uh, people think that that's what financial fair play is there to stop. And it's not. And if financial fair play was ever there to stop that, then it wasn't ever alive in the first place. Because, as I say, over the past, what, now 15 years, 16 years? No, 17 years now, sorry, since uh, Abramovich took over Chelsea. Um, you've had City over the last decade. You've had PSG. That... Maybe it's slowed down a little bit, but that hasn't stopped. That isn't going anywhere. Um, I think it's a little bit more, or it's certainly more difficult than when Abramovich took over at Chelsea to just go and do that with a football club now. But even even then, UEFA are relaxing their financial fair play regulations thanks to the current pandemic, the ongoing pandemic. So in the sense that clubs can't go out there and spend loads of money and because they have a rich owner, financial fair play has never been alive. Mm. I mean, there was a story yesterday that Barcelona are thinking of taking out an 800 million euro loan from Goldman Sachs and loading the club with debt. You know, how can that be fair? But uh, but an owner pumping their own money into a club is is, is seen as, as wrong. I don't really understand it. I mean, my overwhelming feeling after all this is not so much relief that City have got off with it, but uh, relief <laughs> that I don't have to think about this stuff anymore. You know, I hate the fact that you have to be a legal expert to be a football fan nowadays and everyone thinks they know the ins and outs of everything. I blame Netflix for all this stuff. Making a murderer and all that nonsense. Yes. Everyone thinks they're Perry Mason these days, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they're everyone's a detective. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about some actual football because City got some more good good news on Wednesday when Liverpool's defeat at Arsenal means their hundred point records points tally will remain intact. Podrick, given how dominant Liverpool have been this season, do you think they should be a little bit disappointed to have not made a proper piece of history this season? Ah, not really. Did did you think like that was good news for City? Was were you like actively Rooting for them. Oh mate, this week this week has just got better and better from Monday morning <laughs> onwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, but I I don't think there'll be too many Liverpool fans. I'm sure there are some that are maybe a little disappointed, but I think on the whole, and you know, you heard like Klopp say it and some of the players say, it, and I do actually believe it where they say like that the hundred points total is not that significant mm. when you've waited like thirty years to win a league title. I don't think it matters if you win it. That's the sort well, of thing people points. only get 99 points, say to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think, don't you think, um, obviously it would have been like a nice bonus for Liverpool, but it's more something, and I think, as an Arsenal fan who is obviously thrilled that Liverpool haven't gone unbeaten, because I was terrified of yeah. that not that long ago, um, I do think, and I was watching Wednesday's game, um, thinking, imagine how tense this would be if Liverpool hadn't lost yet, mm. I'd have been having heart attacks. Um <laughs> But I think the yeah the not getting the points record and stuff like that is maybe a little bit more for something of us not for us non Liverpool fans to sort sort of point yeah. and laugh at a, a bit of a consolation when when I do think someone well, else's you did see some people say Lewis that like um, they probably did deserve like something like that though like something more than just the league because that this is like a ridiculously like special team. And that maybe they did deserve like an unbeaten season or hundred points or something just to but show that's... like how good they actually have been. But 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 then how they'll be remembered? That's down to us as individuals. Like they don't need. They could be the best team of all time. Like they don't have yeah. to go unbeaten. Like if they won thirty-seven games and then lost one, yeah, exactly. Like we'd all agree they're the best team of all time, even though they didn't go unbeaten. So I I don't know, like. How they're remembered is down to us all as individuals anyway. I'm not sure you need to have sort of a thing like that. And I think we'll probably come on to it in a second, Dan. Um, but I think you agree with me that Man United's triple winning team, which is clearly the most famous and heralded United team ever, is 
I don't think personally the best team that's won the Premier League. Seventy nine points they got that season. Seventy. So City could get more than that than seventy nine points this season and and, and, and finish second yeah. by the biggest gap to the champions ever. Yeah. I, look, I looked it up earlier actually. United only lost three games that season, but they drew thirteen games, which is quite weird. And they only won the they only won the league by one point uh, to mm. Arsenal, didn't they as well? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I broadly agree with you on the on the sort of points record thing, but maybe it's an un, unfair comparison. But just to play devil's advocate, you know, you look at athletics, you don't hear people saying, "Oh, what's important is you, Usain Bolt <laughs> won the gold medal." The, the record is not important. Like, it sort of is important, isn't it? Like, it is. And Liverpool had the chance to get 109 points when they came back from lockdown. And all right, they've sort of probably taken the foot off the gas a little bit, having won the title. But I don't know. I think it. I think there must be a, a little tinge of disappointment that they've not. I think there was yeah. It. I think there'll be a tinge, but I don't think it defines no. their season or their happiness or anything like that. Yeah. So where where does this rank them on the the list of best ever Premier League title winners? Then would you say? Uh, I'd I'd have them like in the in the top five or so. Mm. Um, I think. I mean, and are we counting like individual seasons, or does that City team that just won two in a row count as one? That's a good team? question. Yeah, because people often define teams with individual seasons, don't they? But I think it's probably. Because that's, that's one that's one team having two years of, of success. Yeah, I mean um, United won it three years in a row. So you know, if we're looking at it like that, then surely yeah. they, they'd be the best best team um, and, and the Champions League during that time as well, wouldn't they? So yeah, so I guess it depends how you group it a little bit. Mm. Um, for, for an individual season, yeah, I think to win the league at a canter like they have is, I mean, what City two years ago um, is the only other time we've seen anything like it. I think you have to add the context as well. Uh, I think you do have to consider last season. They won the Champions League last season. Um, they got the, the, the incredibly the third highest points tally of all time last mm. season as well. Uh, that's you know that's ridiculous uh, to have. It, it's basically the same as what City have done uh, in seventeen eighteen and then eighteen nineteen. To have two years where you pretty much just win every single game mm. um, is outrageous and it would have just taken you know one very small deflection or amount of luck or that ball crossing the line at the Etihad last year and we'd be talking about Liverpool having 99 points last season and whatever they're going to finish on this season uh, the, the bar has been raised hasn't it since if you look at the you say there that United got um, 79 points in the treble winning season Arsenal went unbeaten and got even with going unbeaten uh, got just 90 points and mm. just 90 points. Um, yeah, you've obviously got to throw a couple of Chelsea teams in there. Mourinho's first Chelsea team and uh, Antonio no Conte's team, Leicester. I think, is quite underrated. <laughs> Leicester, they got 81 points, I think, didn't they? Ah, but it was... Rubbish. If, if we're talking context, though, I mean, that's the one. That this is, is your it, best Premier League winners right there. <laughs> you can make an argument for and against every single one, pretty much. Yeah. So there is no, Blackburn, maybe. Yeah, Tim Sherwood, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is no way to, to really define it. I don't think so. It's but I think if we had to, the Liverpool are they belong right up there with your your City's hundred points and Arsenal going unbeaten and, and Mourinho's defensive record in that first Chelsea team. Yeah, all I know is that only one team holds the points record, so that's that's all all I need to know. Did you lose that season though, Dan? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. No, we, no little gold trophies handed <laughs> out there. Uh, the race for top four is getting pretty tasty after Manchester United won against Crystal Palace on Thursday, extending their unbeaten streak to 19 games. That's their best run since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. We've had a three-pronged question from Emily Green on the emails and we'll deal with them one by one. First of all, with Man United's recent form, do you think they are back for the fifth time this season or is it just a fluke? Podrick, you can take that one. I don't think they're back because I think they've been quite good for pretty much all of like 2020 maybe even go back a little bit further they've had a few dodgy results here and there like that Watford game and stuff around Christmas games like that but pretty much since 2020 and if you want to narrow it down even further since Bruno Fernandes arrived like it's just been the catalyst for them but I think they've been they've been good all year and I think they'll be kicking themselves given how well they've played if they don't actually finish top four, like that Southampton game, mm. that they, they should have sorted that out. There wasn't really any excuse for Harry Maguire marking 
zone player and Lindelof just going to sleep if that's something that costs you, which I don't think it will because they still they've got a pretty much a free go at it when they play Leicester, so something's got to give there. But mm. I don't think I don't think they're back. It's definitely not a fluke. Like I think just that one addition, if you want to boil it down to something that simple, he has he's just revitalised like that whole team. He's got Pogba's playing well around them now. You've got like the three attackers who putting up like ridiculous numbers. Um that that's gonna just this looks like a great bit of business and you know, like how close they came to getting it done last summer, they'll obviously be regretting that, I'm sure as well, that they didn't just yeah. just pay what Sporting wanted last summer and had to wait another six months to bring him in. They didn't even spend less money on him by waiting, did they? I don't think I think it was the same pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much yeah. the same, yeah. Yeah, well, the second part of Emily's question is, do you think it's just Bruno Fernandes who's saving them and do they need a better manager and or a big spending spree to get back on track next season? Lewis? Um, I think they're, I think they're on track. Like, it, you can't, you, it doesn't happen overnight that they, they're not going to go from, you know, finishing outside the Champions League places and then the very next season win the league um, or, you know, be competing with this Liverpool team or this Man City team overnight. So, I think they're on track. They're on that path. This is definitely, I would say, this few months. There's there have been a few false dawns went under Mourinho, under Van Gaal, um, none under David Moyes. That you, you sort of look at it and you think they're they're going somewhere from the results, but I never felt like the performances ever really matched up to that. Mm. Um, I think this is by far this last probably since the since the lockdown ended. Uh, and and the game started again. This is the best United have played since Ferguson left for me. Uh, they've never looked this dangerous. That front five that, that Podrick mentioned, Pogba's been brilliant since he came back. Um, obviously Bruno Fernandes, but I don't I don't think it's just Bruno Fernandes. Greenwood's emerged as incredibly dangerous. Martial and po- uh, Rashford are probably playing their best football mm. uh, ever. I would say. So I think it's a, a mixture of that front five. The manager, I, I think he has to be given some credit for those improvements, especially on a personal level when you look at the way Martial is playing now compared to 12 months ago when Mourinho was in charge. You've got to give Solskjaer some credit for that, but I think pretty much any manager right now, the way that those five are playing, could put them on the pitch and they'd win them games. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't see Man United winning big things as long as Solskjaer's in charge still. Um, and I do think the improvements are made. Obviously, they've been linked to Jane Sancho. I, ov- obviously, it'll be a great signing, but I don't think that's where they need to focus their attention this summer. I think somebody at the back, you know, Harry Maguire's looked suspect lately, and obviously not going to sell an £80 million defender after one season mm. as captain of the club. But you've got to think there's maybe a way they can structure that defence. Someone at left-back alongside him, someone at centre-back, Maybe uh, who that can make them a little bit more solid, so they can hold on to those results. As I think, even last night at Crystal Palace, they looked nervous. They they had the well before they scored the opener, they nearly gave a penalty away. Before they scored, uh, before um, they scored the second goal, Andre Ayew had that incredibly close. Uh, sorry, Jordan Ayew. Jordan Ayew had that incredibly close offside goal disallowed. So, and Southampton obviously got a couple at Old Trafford. I think those flaws are still there, but going forward, they look better than they have for a long, long time. Mm. And the third part of Emily's question, we touched on it earlier, Podrick, will they get top four? Who will concede to give them that if they do? Will it go down to the final day against Leicester? Yeah, I, th- I, think, they'll, I think they'll beat Leicester in the last game. Um, just, yeah, I just think they're a better, they're better form. Yeah. Uh, Leicester got a good result, obviously, against Sheffield United, but I can see United going there, and I mean, like this is this is just the dream scenario for them. If they know they just have to go there and win that game, then then I I can see them doing it. I mean, Leicester, I think they've been shaky pretty much since they came mm-hmm. back, and that that's going to be if if they do throw that away, then that's that's obviously quite a big fall because I think when football came back, everybody had them pretty much nailed on. Probably even to keep hold a third, never mind drop all the way down, down to fifth. That would be quite big. Obviously, mm. it's not happened yet, so I'm not 
like you, still half time, not counting the tickets. <laughs> but I must, I would find it quite amusing. I think with if Brendan, yeah, managed to throw away. <laughs> and on the subject of Celtic, just before we started recording, I read that it looks like you might be signing Joe Hart. How do you feel about that? Not good, Dan. <laughs> not good. <laughs> I think he'll do I all mean, right for you there. I know. Yeah, like I could, I could see, I could see him actually doing doing quite well, but. I don't know, it's just one of those, like, if it's between him and Forster, then obviously I would take Forster, but, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people are, like, really against it, like, quite, quite angry about it and stuff, that I'm not quite in that camp, I think, like you said, he's, he has a decent shot stopper and stuff, and he's just not played a lot of football. Yeah, I, th- I think he, he could do alright for you, I hope he gets his career back on track, actually, because, you know, going to a, a club like Celtic, it's... It's a big club, massive club, yeah, isn't it's it? Like for him, big you know, it's big, and there's like yeah, pressure. He'll like play in Europe. Um, was there not that big thing with Joe Hart though about something he couldn't dive to his left or something? Like he that, gets beaten he? quite easily down to his left side. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's left. fixed that since he left City. I suspect probably not. Yeah, so yeah, so <laughs> keep an eye on that. Well, I did have one more question for Lewis, but I'm afraid we've lost connection with him, so uh, we'll have to leave it there for this week. That's all for this week's episode of the One Football Podcast. Thank you to Francesco, Davide, Manu, Danny, Lewis and Podrick for joining me. And a long overdue thanks to Elena Benitez for her amazing graphic design work on the podcast. We'll be back again next week. If you'd like to get your questions into us, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball. And in the meantime, stay safe and keep the faith.